welcome to the Tailored Life Podcast. I am your host, Cody McBroom, the CEO of Tailored Coaching Method, a world-renowned online coaching company. This podcast is built to help you create a life by design. That's what the Tailored Life is. It's choosing to blaze your own path, make your own decisions, and create a life you desire. So in this podcast, you're going to learn ways to optimize your body, optimize your mind, optimize your relationships and optimize your business and career this is the podcast for personal development junkies and people who can't stop growing because they strive for more we are also going to bring on experts in every single field to teach you their own expertise so you're not only learning from me four days a week but I'm bringing other professionals in to teach you their principles too so if you love personal development and you constantly want to strive for more in life this is the podcast for you. Make sure you hit subscribe, send this to a friend that needs it, and keep listening to improve your life all around. And without any further ado, let's get into the Tailored Life Podcast. Today we have my good friend and actually my personal trainer, Jason Brown, who owns BP Training Systems, on the podcast to talk all things conjugate, strength training, and conditioning. We really kind of touch on everything from A to Z when it comes to strength and conditioning and how to properly program not only your training, but your aerobic work and why you should be programming your aerobic work, how to design the the weekly split to make sure recovery is optimized as well as strength and what he calls maximum sustainability. And this is basically the idea of training multiple modalities and training for multiple goals and outcomes and sustaining a maximal result across the board. So I think this is really, really applicable for most people who want to feel good, look good, perform like an athlete, and most of all, live a long, healthy life. You guys are really going to enjoy this episode because me and Jason agree on so many things that it was a really fluid conversation. I also know him really well, so it came off very organic and conversational, which I think you will enjoy, and it'll just be easier for you to consume. Um, If you want to check out anything from Jason, I'm going to link a whole bunch of links in the show notes of this podcast, um, in the description of this podcast, so you can check out his program design course, you can check out his content, check out his coaching, check out his website. He has so much to to offer out there, and he's somebody that I endorse because I collaborate with him directly, um, and I actually do his nutrition as well as many of his clients nutrition Um, so it's somebody I collaborate with for a specific reason and today you are going to learn just what that is so if you like this podcast make sure you do a huge favor for me screenshot this episode tag myself on Instagram and post on your story tag Jason at BP training systems Uh, Jason Brown will pop up I'll put both of those handles mine and his in the description of this podcast as well so you can tag us we want to thank you for listening and we want to share it on our story too Uh, without any further ado let's get into the episode with Jason I'm excited to have you back on the podcast because uh, since the last time uh, we've gotten closer as friends and everything, obviously now I, I'm, I'm doing your nutrition, you're doing my training. So it's actually yeah. kind of cool talking right. to my coach slash my client at the time, mm-hmm. you know, and, good friend, <laughs> and we're doing some things going forward to collaborate. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm just excited to have you on, man. We agree on so many different topics. Uh, but before we dive into those topics, brief nutshell, if people haven't don't know who Jason is, go back and listen to the first episode. We'll link that in the show notes of this podcast so you can check out the first one where he really dives into his story. Um, but just in a nutshell, man, tell us who you are real quick. It's, you know, I think I, I would think by now that I would be able to like do this very concisely. Um, but I always have the hardest time telling my story. Um, and again, I don't know why I haven't figured it out. I've done how many podcasts now, but, but anyways, you know, I think like putting it in a nutshell, um, I just was exposed to strength and conditioning at a very young age. My mother was a power lifter. So, um, I was always just enamored by lifting heavy, being strong, gaining muscle. And, you know, that carried over really to my whole childhood. I was an athlete. Um, I played, uh, collegiate football and, um, you know, strength and conditioning was a part of that. And lo and behold, strength and conditioning actually became the thing that I was more passionate about. I think a lot of people that are training for athletics, they find themselves, enjoying the process, uh, really more so than the actual sport. And for me, that's kind of where I found my voice as a coach being, you know, training at a facility with other athletes, eventually being an intern. And then, you know, this is back in early two thousands when, you know, we don't have, we didn't have the things that we have now, like just, you know, a myriad of resources online, but reading like teenation early days with Charles Poliquin, Dave Tate, Eric Cressy, Chad Waterbury, some of the guys that I, that I, uh, communicate with now, uh, you know, on a more personal level, which is almost like, uh, talking to a celebrity for me. Um, so, you know, that kind of just 
transpired into to uh, getting involved with with more functional fitness and CrossFit, and then you know kind of come full circle having the strength conditioning kind of blend more with the functional fitness and then really being inclined to want to learn more about energy systems and and how do we really bridge the gap between strength and conditioning i think we throw that term out there all the time strength and conditioning what does that mean we know that strength training has a number of benefits we know that conditioning has a number of benefits but how do you do the two in a cohesive manner where one doesn't take away from the other and so that's kind of been my mission for the last i would say almost a decade of just trying to figure out what I would call really the holy grail of training. How do you do strength and conditioning and get in positive adaptations from both? I think people have been trying to do that forever. And it's one of those things where I've heard so many people say, you can't do it. You know, you can't ride a horse with two asses. You, if you want to get stronger, you focus on strength. If you want to get better endurance, you focus on conditioning, uh, but you can't do this, the two at the same time, because there's just too much, um, there's too much interference from, from strength and conditioning. So um, I would say there was a point in time where I, I thought that that was true, but at the present day, we, I think we've kind of arrived at almost the perfect blend of both where that longevity piece that maybe I wasn't as concerned with when I was in my twenties, but now, so in my thirties and having kids and just having a lot more stressors now, that piece, I would say probably outweighs everything, you know, how my quality of life is outside the gym. Uh, you know, what I look like with my shirt off, those things are definitely more important now than they were then. So I don't know if that, if that encompasses everything in a nutshell, I think it, for me, it, it does. Um, the Holy grail of training strength and conditioning and doing well at both. That's, uh, that's the mission that we're on. I love it, man. Yeah. I think that does perfectly because you have a long story and a lot of experience and a lot of knowledge. So boiling it down into a quick statement is obviously very difficult, but sure. that kind of transla- transitions us right into what I wanted to talk about first anyway, which was concurrent training. And I think you said it really well, like so many people think it's so conflicting that they avoid it. Um, and it's funny because if you look at research, there is a lot of research that shows concurrent training just isn't that great. But every time I see a study and whether it's reviewed or I just actually the study, I'm always like, oh, I wish they would have done it this way, or I wish mm-hmm. they would have added this component or used this type of participant. Um, because looking at functional fitness athletes, looking at NFL players, looking at any type of athlete, really, what do they have? Strength and conditioning. And they're not harming each other. And most of them are look pretty damn good too. They're mm-hmm. jacked. So sure. I always kind of rely on, you know, science is great. And I always say like, you have to be evidence-based. You have to look at the science. You have to look at the research. But man, experience tells you so much and it helps you interpret that research so much better. Um, so getting into that conversation, can you explain um, both concurrent training and conjugate method because they're similar and, and you're well known for using the conjugate method. But if you can just kind of define what concurrent training actually is and maybe some forms of that in conjugate, that would be perfect just to bring the, the audience up to speed. Sure. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the things that I've seen with, with going back into the classroom later in my life, going to graduate school, you know, after I'd already been a coach for 10 plus years, is that exactly what you said, what they've looked at through research is not optimal by any stretch of the imagination. So they look at concurrent training as basically a form of training multiple biomotor abilities within the same week of training. So if you think about like more of a Western, uh, traditional linear periodization model. It has specific blocks of training where you're focusing on one biomotor ability. So let's just say for the first eight weeks, you're going to focus on more of kind of a GPP, just building your base. The next eight weeks might be maximal strength. You might have a hypertrophy phase in there, power development. That's kind of more of a traditional model. That's, I would say just about any coach that has any length of time under their belt, being a coach and doing research is familiar with the linear model. So on the other hand, concurrent, instead of prioritizing one biomotor ability for a certain length of time, we're taking essentially all of those abilities and training them within a given week of training, which if you look at a a textbook or a number of studies that have been done on concurrent training, they did a lot of those abilities to the extreme. So for instance, we could do maximal strength development on Monday. And then on Tuesday, we go run a half marathon. 
I, I know you and I wouldn't do that, but but that's how they looked at it. So it was very much extreme. And then maybe Wednesday was Tabata interval, so it was more high intensity aerobic training. And then Thursday might have been another maximal strength or maybe a power development session. And then you can go down the list of different variants of that. So there was nothing optimal about it. There weren't utilizing recovery-based measures. They were doing things to the extreme. So you know, if anyone wants to get stronger, if they're running a marathon the day after their strength session, then there's a severe amount of interference that takes place. And there will definitely be, you won't arrive at optimal results for either of those things. However, if you take smaller doses of say the aerobic work and you use that kind of in within a week of training, you can use that to facilitate recovery and build someone's aerobic system, which for a lot of people is a, is a limitation. Um, but too much of anything is a bad thing. So we, it has to be kind of an optimal dose. And that's where concurrent and conjugate differ because conjugate uses more optimal doses of training. Now, a lot of people just think here conjugate and they think about big powerlifters that probably can't go up a flight of stairs without getting out of breath. And in some cases that may be true, but if you hear anything from Louis Simmons, he always talks about the base, the base being GPP having work capacity and work capacity is having an effective aerobic system. Aerobic system affords you the ability to recover between sessions. If you don't have one, then you're not going to be able to do high volume. You're not going to be able to recover. And, you know, outside of that long-term, you're not going to live as long. Your resting heart rate is going to be higher. There's a number of, of negative side of effects to not having the aerobic system that's intact. So that's really the biggest difference with, if you look at a model like conjugate, that, does focus on multiple biomotor abilities within a given week. You know, we do things that, you know, on paper would conflict, but when you program them in a way where it's more optimal and there's, you know, really a dose of training that is more appropriate with the goal, good things can happen. And that's really how we use it and how we've come to make sense of training both energy systems development and strength development within the same week of training. I think, I think that does it really well. I mean, at the end of the day, concurrent is it's focusing on multiple things at once, right. In a given time period, conjugate is more of a style of programming, like you said, and I'd love before we dive into how you guys use it, if you can maybe give us the principles of conjugate method. Like if somebody's listening, to this is like, okay, I keep hearing conjugate method. I don't really understand what it is. Um, can you tell us like, what's, what's different about conjugate method? What principles have to be in place for it to be considered conjugate method and, and, and kind of the rundown for that? Well, so I think the first misconception is that it focuses on the three pri primary lifts, the squat, bench, and deadlift. And, you know, for some people that may be true, but even at Westside, the bigger emphasis is on smaller exercises to build limitations. So those smaller exercises might be you know, some direct triceps work or some direct hamstrings work to, to bring up, you know, wherever someone's sticking point is or whatever someone's limitation is. So they spend 80% of the time on small exercises, assistance work, the stuff that we have come to know as basically functional bodybuilding. So that's the time, that's the work that gets prioritized. Whereas the classic lifts, your squat, bench, um, and pull variations are only planned and, and executed 20% of the time. So if you're thinking about the total volume, 80% is on the small exercises. And then the other 20 is spent on the classic lifts or a variant of the classic lift. So, you know, that's really where, and anyone says to me, well, this, this um, looks like a ton of volume. Well, it's a ton of volume for smaller exercises. We're not doing a ton of volume with your squats and your lifts that are more demanding on the central nervous system we're doing more volume with smaller movements that in effect will help improve things like muscular imbalance and asymmetries as well as add lean body mass. Um, so that's really one of the first things that I like to get out of the way. And the other piece of it is that the work capacity component, doing things like aerobic training is very much as important as anything else. You can't build a house without a foundation. You build that foundation through doing things like sled pulls, loaded carries, you know, steady state aerobic work where the heart rate is in a specific range. Um, and, you know, Westside does a lot of that through pulling the sled and they'll, you know, I think they're doing a lot of aerobic work and they probably, you know, they're not necessarily calling it aerobic work. Um, that's where we differ a little bit, but 
I would say a lot of those key elements of kanji, if you look in any of Louis' books, it talks, you know, ad nauseum about pulling the sled, pulling the sled, doing different types of carries. So, you know, people just kind of glaze over that stuff and they want to get to the sexy stuff like the squat, the box squat, the floor press or what have you. Um, but they, ne they neglect the amount of volume that they put into, you know, the upper back and the triceps. I mean, the hamstrings, the glute complex, all of these, all of this musculature gets really a huge priority in terms of uh, having a carry over to the big lifts. So, um, you know, that's, that's kind of really some key elements to it that make it what it is and make it so effective, not only for powerlifters, but even for people like me and you that, Hey, you know, it's cool for our, for our squad to go up, for our deadlift to go up, but how I feel, how I look, that stuff is cooler at, at me at this point in my life. And I would probably guess that you're probably would agree with me on that. Um, and those are the people that I tend to work with anyway. So it, it makes sense that, you know, um, we have a system that is aligning with the client's goals and needs. If I'm training a power lifter, you know, there might be more emphasis on, on, um, you know, just focusing on bringing up a lagging muscle group. Whereas for me and you, it's kind of more of a, of a, of a holistic approach. And I think that's how most people listening to this podcast would, would aim to. So I think that's mm. perfect. Um, one interesting thing that's a little bit different about the conjugate is, is the rotation of the compound lifts. And when I say compound to people listening, I don't mean barbell back squat. I just mean squat period, like the movement pattern itself. Um, can you, can you touch on that? Cause I think that's one thing that a, not a lot of people realize or understand how to program properly, but also that's, that's one of the arguments against conjugate that people don't like um, because classic periodization and progression models would tell you like, all right, we're doing, we're going to work on the back squat. You're going to do the back squat every single week. And we're going to slowly progressively overload that dropping volume, increasing intensity, and then cycling back, which is not wrong. We're not saying that doesn't work, but conjugate takes a different spin on that. So can you, can you break that down for us? Yes. So I think that the context is key when you talk about this, you can't just say, Hey, we're going to do back squat once every 12 weeks. That might be applicable to someone that is got a great squat. You know, they, they're, they've, they're at their potential with their squat currently, and they're looking to bring it up maybe five to 10 pounds in the next 12 weeks. Then we need to start looking other places, but for the average person, you know, people that we work with that are, that are uh, less experienced and maybe the lower training age, they might need more exposure to it. And there's ways that we can strategically do that. So, you know, to preface this, I would say that, Overall, conjugate rotates bilateral movements on a more of a weekly basis. So they use the max effort method and they're doing a different variation every week. And then the other tenant of that is our speed strength training or dynamic effort work. Those variations go in a three week wave. So you'd essentially see, you know, a 5% increase in load. The focus is on bar velocity. So totally different intent. Um, you know, you're not having there, there should be no mechanical breakdown when you're, you're doing dynamic effort work. It's more of a speed-based uh, lift. So that stuff will be done for three weeks at a time. So, you know, I, I think that what we've done is we've kind of split the difference, so to speak, instead of just saying, okay, we're going to rotate lifts so much that you're never going to see the same thing in a 12 week span. I take a little bit different approach with that because again, I'm considering Majority of people I work with might need a little bit more exposure. So how do we do that? And we can do that with sub-maximal effort work, which is essentially, you know, building to a multiple rep max or using a given rep scheme where we're, we're focused on maybe a rep max for the day. Um, and that allows us a little bit more time under tension. That allows us a little more improvement of motor patterns. Um, and then, you know, I have guys that are power lifters that we rotate variations you know, if you're doing a max Anderson squat on Monday, the next week, it might be a max rack pull deadlift the week after it might be, uh, you know, a Zercher box squat You can go down the list. I mean, you've seen that already in your programming. So there's, there's definitely, there's never, there's always, you know, multiple ways to skin the cat. We can, we can use max effort method, rotate variations weekly and not run any risk of overuse injury. We can use submaximal effort work. If the client's goal is to possibly gain a little bit more lean mass, and maybe they just need to improve on uh, their movement quality. So I think that's, that's something that we, you know, should kind of just get out of the way, because if you look at West side, they're going to say rotate lifts every week. And again, that their message is more for 
a higher level athlete that, I mean, they don't have any begin, there's no beginners training at Westside, you know, there, there's people that are, that are experts at what they're doing, whether it be powerlifting or, or some type of, uh, you know, athletic, um, they're very, very high level. There's no beginners learning to squat at Westside, yeah. you know, and I'm sure if there was Louie would have them box squatting probably very consistently because they need to learn how to squat. Right. So that's, uh, I think really in a key thing, you can't just throw a blanket statement out and say, let's just rotate max separate work every week. And, and, you know, that's going to work for everyone, you know, yes that. and no. Yeah. I love that. I think, uh, one thing you didn't touch on that I'd love to get your opinion on, but I always tell people too, is it's just fucking fun. Like people, you know, speaking personally, I want to get stronger. Like I told you, I was like, I want to be an athlete, you know, obviously I want to look good too. But if somebody was like, okay, we'll define strength. And I said, I, I specifically want to hit 400 pounds on my barbell back squat. Like that's a completely different beast of specificity, which would be important, but mm-hmm. you know, I just want to be strong, man. And, and knowing that like, this week, I'm like, all right, what's the lift today? And I come yeah. in and it's it's throw some chains, do some sumos, elevate it. Like, I'm like, fuck yeah, this is going to be fun. Next week, what is it going to be? Zercher box squats, cool. Like, it's different and it stimulates my mind. And we're still mm-hmm. having that progression with the accessory work, which allows me to build muscle like I want to. Because I can, you know, week one, I'm kind of learning the movement pattern. And then week two, I can add some load to that, right? Or burn out reps or do whatever I can because I've kind of mastered that skill. Um, but how, how much like importance do you place on that? Just having fun and actually enjoying the program. Well, th- I mean, that's key. And no one's going to stick to a program they hate. If you are every Monday rolls around and you're like, oh, what do I have today? It's just a matter of time before you start looking for a new program. And I think that's that's what led me to you for dieting is that, you know, the, a lot of the approaches that I was, uh, I was, um, subjected to from different coaches and, and some great coaches out there, you know, don't get me wrong, but it just didn't resonate with my personality. So I think if you're a type A person, you're more likely going to love conjugate. You know, we have a lot of people that come from the functional fitness space. I'll call it on this just to be, you know, I guess, correct. Um, <laughs> you know, that love conjugate. Well, why? Because they're type A, they love novelty. They love rotation. And again, just like you said, what do I have coming Monday? Well, I don't know. And I look and then it's a completely different variation. Not only does it challenge you in a new way, it might resonate more with you based on your limitations. It's going to make you kind of open your eyes to other things like, wow, I can't believe how weak I am with the floor press, but my bench press is X, Y, and Z. You know, this is whatever my number is. Um, So you start like making connections between, hey, there's low hanging fruit with this particular variation. And maybe I need to dedicate more time to training specific musculature that supports that. So I love that. I, and for myself personally, and I would say probably the majority of the people I work with individually, we rotate variations in a max effort setting weekly. Again, I, the, the caveat I use to that is the people we work with in a group setting where there's just a lot more variability in terms of their, uh, you know, ability. And you have people that are, you know, X amount of experience. And then some people that just started learning how to do functional patterns, you know, that that's kind of a different ball of wax where you have to kind of, uh, tailor the programming to the greatest good. But for people like you rotating variations for max effort for your heavy lifts, even submaximal on a weekly basis is great. Beginners, I would say a little more exposure to, just learning how to squat, learning how to hip hinge, learning how to, you know, horizontal row. Those are the things that are, are going to help get them ready for using something like the conjugate system down the road. Yeah. Uh, more of a personal question. I'm just curious, who else has influenced you in the strength world? Like obviously Westside and Louie were a big influence, but you've said multiple things where, I mean, even the names you dropped at the beginning, like I think back of like, and I got introduced to some of those guys and teen, like the early teenation guys and the people I interned with. When I was like 18, 19. So I stepped into like that world at a really young age. Mm-hmm. So I always love hearing this, but like who else in the, in the industry or in the strength world has really played an influence in your programming and training today? Well, I would say I've, I've read probably everything Chad Waterbury has written. And then Chad is a, is a friend of mine now. He's always, um, he's actually, I'm writing a book for human kinetics and he was the main driver for making that happen. Um, I've, I loved his work. I loved that. What about him is that 
he was always trying to bridge the science to the training. And that always resonated with me. And, and just, I just wanted to know more about the actual physiology about what's happening within the human body. And he always did that. And his training was always fun. I think I've done every program he's ever put out on T nation, uh, which is a, a great thing for young coaches to do. You can experiment and find out what works well for you. And then, you know, I, I throw Christian Thibodeau in there as well. Um, and again, another guy that I, you know, I've read his books and read all his articles over the years and, you know, able to connect with them now on a more personal level and, and attend some of his seminars in person. And then, you know, there's a lot, I mean, there's just so many great people out there. I mean, Joel Jameson, I think has, you know, for me, what I've learned in terms of energy systems development, I would say a fair amount of that came from Joel. I mean, he made me look at the aerobic system in a completely different way. And um, that's opened my eyes up to really putting the why behind different methods that conjugate uses, and maybe they didn't have a name to, but we started figuring out different ways to use this stuff within conjugate programming and, and, and completely make it an even better system. I and mean, it's a great system without them, but it's even better for general fitness, for general, you know, people like me and you, um, when you can start using some of these methods and then, you know, there's, I mean, there's just so many great guys. I got to, I worked with John Russin quite a bit. I mean, super smart guy. I learned so much about human movement and, and assessment and screening from him. Um, but yeah, I think that's kind of the, the big list. Dave Tate's definitely in there. Um, I've met him more than a few times and, you know, I could keep going. Joe DeFranco, Eric Cressy, you know, they're, they're Charles Poliquin. There's so many great people, but I would say probably, you know, and I, I don't, I don't want to be, don't want to, uh, miss out on um, one of the most important catalysts is the strength coach I had um, as a as a kid, you know, really kind of facilitated a lot of this stuff for me. Um, so without him, I, I probably wouldn't even, uh, I actually got into conjugate through my strength coach in high school and in college. So, you know, that was definitely the catalyst for, I think, all of this stuff. <laughs> We have a lot of young trainers listening, so I want everybody to go back and write every single one of those names down because I think a lot of people search on Instagram for, you know, the people to follow. And, and granted, like, there's going to be people that follow, find you or I because of Instagram, so it's a great tool. Sure. But there's also there's a lot of just OGs that you might not find in there. Like mm. almost every single one of those names that you you listed off has had a huge influence on me as well, um, and I found them through articles, reading their books, attending their seminars, stuff like that. I mean, shit, I remember the book, uh, Dave Tate wrote the vault. I was like one of the first books I got on like strength. And it was just mm -hmm. so cool. Cause every page is like the bench press. And it's just like, let him rant yeah. on the bench press for a bit. And then it's like chains rant on that. It's just such a mm -hmm. good book. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, all of these people, I think it inspired me to, I mean, I never thought I'd be writing articles and other people would be reading my articles and having it have the same effect that their articles had on me. Um, so that was kind of one of the, the, you know, the catalyst for me to start writing content and giving back. I mean, I don't even think I'd be talking to you if I didn't start writing content back. I don't even know a decade ago now. Um, and it was still wild. Even putting myself out there back then was, was kind of scary. And even today, I, I, you know, putting yourself out there is, is hard. I think for anyone, you do a great job. I was, I've been always been impressed by your ability to put yourself out there and be confident. Um, but I don't think that comes naturally to everyone. It didn't come natural to me. It took a lot of time. And, um, and even to this point today, you know, it took a lot of, to get here to say like, all right, I am confident with what I do. And, and, um, you know, I, I know that I know my craft better than anyone else. And I can discuss this stuff, but I felt that I had to earn that. And, you know, getting degrees and certifications and training lots of people and all these different things was, I don't, if I didn't do that, I wouldn't be confident enough to speak about this stuff, you know? Yeah. hundred percent, man. I think it's, I think it's well said. And I think people, people can take a lot out of that. And I, I think actually we met because we were both writing articles for John Russin, which was one of the mm -hmm. names that you mentioned that we both hung out with many times and he connected us and then we podcasted and then started working right. together. So um, it's just an, like, it, and it's funny because I talk to uh, Jordan Syatt quite often. He's one of my good friends now. And, and we always say, like, trainers always ask us, like, what's, what should I be doing to build my business or get better? And we always say you should be writing articles. Like, mm -hmm. it's just, it's one of those things that kind of got lost over the years. But the really good coaches still write articles. One, if you're smart with business, it's really important for SEO. So you would be smart to do that anyway. Mm -hmm. um, but two, if you can write an in-depth article, like, you know your shit. 
you know, an Instagram post is great, but a 2000 to 5,000 word article on a specific topic shows that you really know how to coach this stuff. Sure. I agree. And I, I, it's funny. I just had someone ask me recently, um, something along those lines, like, what do you think I should do to build my business? I'm like, you know, I I think the first thing is you got to read, you know, there was, I just saw recently, there was a quote from Charles Poliquin that said, if you are not investing at least eight hours a week into continuing education, then you're never going to be in the top 1% of your industry. And eight hours a week, actually, I mean, for me personally, when I was before I had kids and, you know, a real, I was a real, I was a kid then I wasn't an adult. I didn't have real responsibilities. I was definitely probably spending, you know, maybe four or five X that a week on just reading. Um, So if you're young and you don't have a family and you maybe still live with your parents, just read as much as you can. You have the ability to do it now. Once you're my age, you have three kids and bills and just a number of responsibilities. It's very, very hard to, invest that amount of time. And that's really the time that you have to put in if you're serious about being in fitness. And I will say I had zero support. My family said there is no career in fitness. You know, my dad told me that I'm crazy um, for, for going into fitness. And my whole life, I knew I wanted to go into fitness. I just didn't know how or, or what it would look like. Um, but, but everyone in my family said, there's no, you know, you can't make a career in fitness. And, you know, lo and behold, um, you know, I've got a nicer house than my dad ever had. And <laughs> I owe it all to fitness. I mean, so if I listened to him, then I probably would be, you know, working a nine to five or whatever and not have the freedom that we have being in this industry. I uh, dude, I can relate to that. And I think there's, there's a lot of great coaches that can relate to that. And just knowing that people doubted, you know, mm-hmm. um, we, we kind of veered off of what I was getting ready <laughs> to ask you, but I think that was a good tangent for us to take because it's valuable, but um, I want to steer it back to your method, right? So mm-hmm. whether we call it uh, CNC or conjugate and conditioning or the, just the Drayson Brown method, let's say, yeah. how does, like, how do you explain that to somebody? You're in an elevator and you got 10 floors to go up and somebody's like, what's your method? Like, how do you explain that? Because you talk about conjugate, you talk about aerobic training, you talk about mm-hmm. Joel Jameson, Christian Thibodeau, which means probably neurotyping had some influence. John Russ sure. and some of his pain free performance stuff rubbed off mm-hmm. on you. Like there's Chad Waterbury's very like full body, high frequency stuff. There's sure. so many different things. And I, and I often tell one of the pieces of advice I give trainers is that you should be hiring people or, or buying people's programs, even if you're not going to run it, see what they do and learn from other coaches because everybody, you know, there's, there's that quote, uh, principles uh, or methods are many, principles are few, methods often change, principles never do. So there's, there's principles yeah, that I Joe DeFranco, like that. Chad Waterbury, Christian Thibodeau, all these people have, and we take mm-hmm. from them. And then your method is how you spin those things. So I, I'd love for you to dive into like, in a nutshell, what is your method? Yeah, that's a good one. So for me, I, I frame this as maximum sustainability mm. on all levels. So strength and conditioning. Now, we always hear people talk about what they were. I was this strong. I was this fit. I ran this. I deadlifted this back in my prime. Well, your prime is r- irrelevant. What you did back then is irrelevant. I hate to say it. When I was in the army, they always talked about PT tests. And people would say, oh, back when I was in boot camp, I got a 300 on my PT test. But they'd always say, you're only as good as your most recent score. Mm. So if you got a 300 when you were in your 20s, great. But you're only getting a 220 now, you're a 220. You're not a 300 anymore. So conjugate for me is maximum sustainability. I can be fit aerobically. I could go run a 5K right now if someone said, hey, do you want to go run a 5K with me? Absolutely. I could run a 5K with you easily. No issues at all. Same token, if one of my powerlifter friends says, you know, hey, do you want to do a max effort squat session? I could train with him and hang with him and not be, you know, he's not going to be squatting or deadlifting 3x what I am. We're going to, we're going to be able to hang together and, and do that session and have fun. Um, and then on the same token, you know, it's we're in we're in January now, the middle of winter, it's cold here. If I want to take my shirt off, I know that I'm not going to look like, you know, dad bod. I'm going to look not far off from how I look during the summer. So that's it for me. It's like, I can do everything. I can, you know, do things that involve getting my heart rate up. I can lift heavy. I can take my shirt off. I can go play with my kids. I mean, that's it being the best, being your best that you can sustain 
365 days a year. That's, that's the elevator speech. <laughs> I love it, dude. I, I think maximum sustainability is a perfect two, two word statement to explain sure. what you're doing. And really like, I think what a lot of people are after, but they don't realize they're after, you know, I agree. Yeah. Uh, and that's, and how do you do that? I mean, that's, you always get these people that are saying, you know, I, I want to get better for whatever event. Maybe it's for, you know, high school reunion or they're just getting ready for how they look in the summer uh, in their bikini. Um, and, you know, it really comes down to having something that you can sustain. You're not going to, you're not going to sustain what you look like on stage all year round. No one does, but what's the happy medium where you can still have a good quality of life. You can still, you know, like I, I saw a post you had, you, you include drinking beer in your diet. You, you enjoy drinking beer. You should include include drinking beer. You enjoy it, right? So why would you remove something? You make adjustments other places so you can sustain the physique that you want, the strength that you want, but still be able to do things that, you know, may or may not be the perfect thing for that, but they're part of your life. There's something that makes you happy. So it's about finding that really that happy, that happy medium, that, that common ground where you can really do it all. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's, to me, that's what like mastering con real concurrent training should be. Mm -hmm. You know, there's obviously the people that like they're extreme powerlifters that like literally all they give a shit about is, is powerlifting. Then of course, like you don't want to sustain everything. You don't want flexibility across the board, all that stuff. I get it. Um, mm -hmm. But for most people, I think that's what they're after. Um, and, and I think this kind of fits into the category and I, and I know it has something to do with your method. And, and I like this topic because like concurrent training, I don't think there's any good research to prove it useful, but experience of myself and so many other strength coaches says that mm -hmm. it's extremely useful and that's exercise sequencing. So basically for the people listening, going into a, a day of training, how is that sequence? What do you start with? What do you finish with? How do you ramp up? How do you warm up? How do you prime your nervous system? Those kind of things. Um, rather than just throwing a list of exercises on a piece of paper and saying, just get it all done, you know? And, and one of the questions that makes me cringe is when somebody's like, oh, this squat rack was taken. So I did like this, this, and this first. And I'm like, mm -hmm. no, like that's, <laughs> you're jumping yeah. ahead of the program. Don't do that. There's a reason for this. So um, my question for you is, is how important is it to you and what you do? And, and can you explain how to properly sequence exercises throughout a session? Yeah, that's a good one. And I, and that comes back to one of those things where what's the difference between getting workouts off of the internet versus having like a real professional write you a training program. Mm. They have knowledge of those principles. How do we prime the nervous system for our training? What is the order of exercise that's going to be optimal? And what I would say is that if I open up a textbook, it's going to say a specific order. It'll probably give you, you know, if I look in essentials of strength training and conditioning, it's going to give you a ramp warm up, which essentially is utilizing a very common sequence and, and something that John Rustin teaches about is basically preparing the central nervous system for the training in a logical fashion. So RAM stands for raise, activate, uh, mobilize, potentiate. Potentiate is potentiating the sympathetic nervous system, which is our fight or flight response. Um, and we can utilize that window. It's about a five to eight minute window. So we, you, you've seen in our warmups, you know, the last phase of the warmup, is some type of plyometric or some type of, of CNS drill to essentially facilitate that fight or flight response. So that's the first step is we ramp up the warm-up. We start with more parasympathetic, which is more of a rest and recover. And that's just kind of bringing people down. Too many people already live on the parasympathetic or excuse me, sympathetic side of things. So we strategically ramp them up in the warm-up. I would encourage people, you know, how I explain the warm-up is, is that we have a small window of time to do some specific things. And we know, generally speaking, that people are very tight. They sit in chronic positions like flexion, internal rotation on a daily basis. I'm sitting in it right now. So we want to counter that and bring them out of those positions, reduce tone. And then we think about things like, hey, what are we doing today? Well, if we're squatting, we should probably squat in our warm-up. It makes sense, right? So priming the foundational patterns that we're working using some type of CNS tool. Plyometric is a great one. I put some type of plyometric in every warm-up. So whether it be a jump or, you know, it might be a, um, some type of skip or a med ball slam or chest press, something of that nature. There's some type of, of CNS 
drill that's going to prime the sympathetic nervous system for what's coming. And again, it's a small window of time. It's only about five to eight minutes, um, depending on what research you look at that we have to utilize post potentiation activation. So we use that and then, you know, we do our, our main lift and it's kind of like we, we've just uh, taken some, some pre-workout, right? It's like natural pre-workout that we can use to our advantage and it gets us ready for what we're about to do. And then from there we progress and it's kind of strategically bringing people down. So we assistance exercises and then cool down. And now we're flipping things on its head. Instead of being more fight or flight, we're going to more rest and digest. And that's, again, I think a critical, critical piece. You said, what are like, what is one thing I can do to ramp up my gains and I don't have to change my whole training methodology. Well, you could just in, implement a cool down sequence. It takes five minutes and it's going to facilitate the recovery process. You're going to start recovering before you leave the gym. Makes a lot of sense, but I think when people start doing it, it's not, you know, doing a breathing drill is not super sexy and it requires you to, to almost unplug and not look at your phone and just focus on your breathing and more of just kind of like relaxing imagery. So it, it, uh, it's counterintuitive to like what we see on a day-to-day -day basis, like everyone's so plugged in and it's the opposite of that. So I think it, it takes a lot of discipline, which is probably why my wife can't do them. Um, but hopefully she doesn't listen to this, <laughs> but you know, again, huge return on investment for a short period of time. It's one of those things too. That's like you said, like doing a squat with chains on the bar band, like sexy, it's fun laying on the ground after the gym and just calmly breathing and, and yeah. quiet. Like it's, it's just not like a quote unquote cool thing. But what I can say is for most people, and you might have experience with this too, personally, most people almost have to go through and you experience this with me, an injury where you're like, fuck, I knew I should have done X, Y, Z a little bit more thoroughly, or I kind of rushed into this, or I jumped the gun too quick and you get hurt. And then you're like, I'm never going to do that again. You know, cause my warm up and my cool down is dialed in every day. And there's even been times where like, I need to get home. And so I like, I jet out of the gym and I go home. And so my wife can leave. And, and I literally, you would laugh at this. My two-year-old likes to sit on my stomach while I do my diaphragmatic breathing. <laughs> so I just resistant, let her sit on my stomach. Yeah. Exactly. She watches the TV and I'm doing my breathing. I go through some stretches and, and even though it is, I mean, I live 10 minutes from the gym. So even though it's yeah. 10 minutes later, it's still bringing me down before the evening starts, which is really sure. important for stress and recovery. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, again, I think oftentimes the things that are low hanging fruit for people are things that people wouldn't consider. You know, when I tell people, decrease training frequency. If they're stressed out, it, again, it's counterintuitive. I'm telling you to do less. And sometimes it's hard for people to do. I even know personally, if I wake up and my HRV, actually my HRV score was redlined the other day and I did change how I train, but it's very hard for me. If I have a training session plan, even if my HRV score is, is crap, it's hard for me to say, well, I'm not training today. I'm going to try to take a nap today. Very, very hard to do that. Um, but you know, oftentimes, again, the things that we need the most are the things that are hardest to do, even if it's taking a rest day. Yeah, those things open your eyes, man. We did uh, Joel Jameson's BioForce. We were like beta testers at the gym I worked mm -hmm. at at the time when he first started kind of testing it. And I remember it just frustrating me and a couple of my clients that I was testing it with because we were just redlining it all the time. And I was like, all right, yeah. we got to take recovery more seriously and, and sleep and things like that. Um, and, and one of the things I wanted to really get your uh, education or your view on is, is energy systems as a whole, which really relates to this whole recovery topic and so much more. So this might be the last topic of the podcast, just because I know you could probably record and I think you have hour long presentations on this exact topic, but can you give the, the average person, uh, the average listener kind of like a rundown of what the energy systems are, maybe why they even need to be worried about it and how to implement like a baseline, just something simple. Obviously you need a textbook to give us everything you can on this, this topic, but just kind of like one one if you will. Yeah, that it is. It's definitely a very complex topic and that's why people do dissertations on it. If I had to you know, if I was talking to the coach, it's really pivotal for them to understand, have a baseline level of knowledge with, with bioenergetics and basically how the body uses fuel. Um, you know, different events require different fuel sources, different events, different types of training elicit different responses on the nervous system. So if we, we start thinking about the training that we are delivering to our clients, 
is how it affects the nervous system and, and how long it takes to recover from, it gets easier to start dialing in the methods. So when we think about energy systems, we think about their three systems are oxidative, and then we have two anaerobic systems, our ATP PC system and our glycolytic system. And basically, if we think about the aerobic system being our, so our oxidative system is lowest levels of fatigue ability. It's stuff that we can do for long periods of time. It's very enduring. Anything over three minutes is going to rely more so on the aerobic system. And you hear people talk about the aerobic system all the time and, and it's, it's developed and, and utilized in a number of settings. It doesn't just have to be running a 5k. You can do it a number of ways. Um, and once you know how it breaks down and how to program different rest intervals and different modalities, that kind of gives you a little bit more freedom of how you utilize it. Now, on the other side of things, you have your anaerobic systems, which are highest power output, but they're also highest fatigability. So you can't utilize anaerobic systems for very long without having, you know, depletion of ATP, which is our fuel source or high energy phosphates. That stuff doesn't last long and it's not readily available and takes a longer time to recover from. So when we hear things like high intensity training executed with foundational movement patterns, and you guys know what I'm getting at, but is it really high intensity? Because if we think about what high intensity really means, if we're thinking about an actual textbook definition and the fuel sources that are being used, once we get over three minutes, regardless of what you're doing, the fuel sources are going to shift and it's going to rely more on the aerobic system. And that's, again, that's not my opinion. You can find that in a textbook. There's a graph. Uh, I can't remember what text it's in. Uh, might be designing resistance training programs where it shows you the CO2 breakdown between the first zero to 30 seconds, 30 seconds to 60 seconds, 90 to I think 180 seconds. And then from there on. So basically your first three minutes, the anaerobic systems will predominate, which is why a 400 meter run, even a mile run for some people, the aerobics or anaerobic systems will predominate. Whereas get over three minutes and then you're gonna have more reliance on the aerobic system. So essentially, you know, in a nutshell, you have one system that requires a lot of rest. It fatigues quickly. You can't train it for for too long of bouts without having complete rest between intervals. Whereas the other one is you can train for longer periods of time and both have different adaptations. Both have different room for growth. You can't make a marathon runner a sprinter. And conversely, you can't make a sprinter a marathon runner. There's a reason why there's a genetic ceiling for how much fast twitch and slow twitch muscle fiber someone has. So there's room for improvement but you're not going to flip someone's genetics on their head and all of a sudden transform them, transform them into a different level of athlete. So, you know, again, it's, it's very complex. And I think if you think about it really in terms of program design, you have to understand the adaptations that take place and what measures will allow you to tap into those adaptations. So aerobic system is very specific and anaerobic systems are very specific. You can't just use any type of measure for you to effectively train the ATP PC system or the aerobic system for that matter. There are very specific things and their heart rate needs to be in a specific range. And there's amounts, there are movements that work amounts of, uh, more higher amounts of musculature, a lot of variables to it. So if you're thinking about, I think the, the main point I, I talk about a lot with conditioning is the aerobic system. We don't talk about the anaerobic systems as much because it's very specific. The specificity of training ATP PC system is great for the right person. American football, we should understand the fuel sources that predominate in that event. American football is four to seven second place with 45 to 60 seconds of rest. Okay, well, there's the specificity of that sport. We can train that with specific measures. Same thing with endurance. We need to know the specificity of, of the sport. We need to know the goals of the individual, where they're currently at. Um, and then we can use specific measures. If I know if someone's resting heart rate 70 beats per minute and we want to improve the resting heart rate so they can improve the recoverability, then I'm going to use specific measures where the heart rate is going to be in a specific range. 
and it's going to allow for optimal adaptations of the aerobic system, which genetically has more room for growth than the anaerobic systems. Um, I think that's as, as, uh, as uh, easy as I can make it. Um, we use a method like the cardiac output method, and you've seen this every week in everyone's program I write, we use that method. And the reason is simple, it's easy to arrive at the desired adaptations because there's less variability with how it plays out if we give people the right measures. If we put you know, movements like globally demanding movements, like maybe a, a thruster or a burpee, then the heart rate goes too high and we negate a lot of the adaptations that we are looking for and particularly in cardiac tissue. So once we know what movements elicit what specific spike in heart rate and what zone that's going to predominate within a specific workout, we can tailor that to the training session of that day, the, the response that we're looking for. And with cardiac output, the harder part is actually getting people to stay in the right range, which is lower. Most people, it's going to be, you know, about 60% of their max heart rate. So it's very conversational. We, me and you could do it for 30 minutes and have a conversation while we're doing our training session. Um, so that's a, a harder one more from a psychological aspect to say like, Hey, this is what I want. I want your heart rate to be, you know, 140 for this entire session. And I don't want you to go above 140. Um, that's harder because people are like, well, I don't feel like I did enough. S yeah. But you did enough for us to get what we were looking for on that day. And then by doing that, that's going to create synergy within the programming to do dynamic effort work the day after. Know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think something a lot of people butcher in program design is, is actually waving those intensities throughout the week. It's, mm -hmm. it's almost, and that's where we get this whole like redlining thing, right? They, they ramp things up and they stay up there and then they burn out. Right. And it's this, and that's kind of like why deloading every once in a while is important as like a pre uh, emptive thing, right? Like deload before you're so burnt out that you're like, fuck, I need to deload. But one of the interesting things about aerobic training that I think would be good to explain to people is aerobic training is very important to improve your anaerobic training, right? So when we're in the gym, lifting max effort stuff, like it's more so anaerobic, right? And a lot of people might say, well, I just give a shit about that. I just want to lift. I just want to get strong. That's where a lot of people miss out on this thing. And you said it right at the beginning, the aerobic capacity, like that's your base, that's your foundation. So why is the, this aerobic ability so important to develop that anaerobic side? Well, there's an aerobic function to replacing ATP, high energy phosphates. You know, that comes by way of, of aerobic metabolism. So, you know, you have a more efficient aerobic system, you're going to be able to replace those higher energy phosphates that deplete quickly. You know, if you're doing an anaerobic method with a person that has no aerobic system, they're going to probably need longer rest intervals. Whereas you'll see people that are, have better work capacity overall, and, and maybe their resting heart rate is, is very low. Um, that will manifest by way of them being able to repeat anaerobic work without having a, you know, a really exaggerated rest interval. They can do it on a very consistent basis and be able to repeat that work output across multiple sets. Whereas some people you'll see, you know, they might do one, one set of box squats, you know, in box squats, um, the way we use them with dynamic effort work and using accommodating resistance, I've seen very strong people that cannot do a set of, of three every 45 to 60 seconds with 50% of their, their max squat plus another 25% in accommodating resistance. That's a very rapid succession. And if you don't have work capacity, it'll show up very quickly when you are doing using the dynamic effort method, if you're using it correctly, that is. Um, so there is an aerobic component to fast twitch muscle fibers. You know, fast twitch muscle fibers um, do have aerobic abilities. And I think, you know, once you start looking at things like muscle physiology, you start realizing that there's this whole complex world beyond just fast twitch and slow twitch and aerobic and anaerobic. And there's just so many more complex processes that take place. And, you know, coaches don't have to be, have a PhD in that to understand that there are certain things that present low hanging fruit for maybe themselves or the clients that they're working with. So again, if you're looking at improving any level of fitness, you have to build a base first. You can't just go to the cool stuff. You have to build a base and the base work 
stuff I mentioned, the aerobic work, the sled pulls, GBP based work that, you know, isn't as demanding on the nervous system. It's, it's easy to recover from. You can do it every 24 hours if you wanted to. That's the stuff where you really make the money. The sexy stuff is the stuff that you have to spread out. It has to be done every 72 to 96 hours. It requires more recovery in terms of the nervous system. People think, oh, I feel good the next day. But there's a level of fatigue that exists that you don't see, you don't feel. You might not feel it right away, but eventually when you're burnt out and you're like, you know what, like we mentioned in the beginning of the show, I don't feel like, you know, Monday rolls around and I'm like, oh, what am I doing today? That's overtraining. It's not just, hey, I'm demotivated because I don't like the training. That's also overtraining and people don't make the connection that my lack of motivation is synonymous with overtraining. So, you know, that's, again, you can't build a house without a foundation. And if I had to tell people to spend more time in any one area, it would be more of the aerobic work, more of the stuff that isn't as sexy. And then let that really serve as, as kind of the vehicle for your other measures. I love it, man. I think that right there finishes that, like when you said, like, I don't know how much more I can kind of put that in a nutshell. I think that did a really good job of kind of closing that off. Um, and we are running out of time, but before we do, I, I, I want to give you a chance like knowing this airs in probably three or four weeks, what can you tell people to go check out? What do you offer? Where can people learn more from you? You have so much good content. So obviously we'll link your Instagram and everything in the show notes, but um, tell us what you offer so people can jump on it because uh, like I said at the beginning, guys, this is who I trust with my programming. Obviously, I'm a trainer myself, and, and I program for hundreds of people um, and my entire team. And I still outsource this because it's important to have a, a, a second opinion and a second eye. And Jason is somebody who I resonate with a ton, and he really understands this shit like the back of his hand. And it's interactive, which I love. So, so tell everybody where they can get what you offer, um, anything you have upcoming that they could look out for soon. Um, all the plugs, man. Yeah, well, I appreciate you saying that, man. It, it's been great. I mean, I, the same, you know, goes for you. I've been working with you for my diet for, man, I, it's been over a year. I know that. And I know last year I gained seven pounds of lean muscle. I'm 37. And, um, you know, I wasn't expecting to, I mean, people see me, they're like, dude, did you, did you put on like 15 pounds? I'm like, no, I only put on seven, but like 15 good pounds, obviously. Yeah. yeah. Um, so really, really cool to, I mean, that was a, a turning point for me. I, I was, I was at kind of a standstill. So thank you for, for helping me with that. Yeah. Um, and you know, I, I think the best place for anyone to start is just look at our content. We've got things, we've got a, a whole five week program design course that will give you all the tools to write programs, to really establish yourself as an expert in your field. And, you know, this day and age, everyone's online now. So people can work with anyone they want to. It's not just, you're not just competing with people in your area, you're competing with people all over the globe. So if you, you know, plan on being in the fitness industry for, for the long run, you got to start leveling up your education. So you don't even need to buy my course. You can just consume uh, all the content we have. We're really, uh, we're really making steps to level up the, our YouTube channel, which, um, you know, we haven't really done much with at this point, but I think a lot of people are watching videos now and, you know, the, the only thing is, is that a lot of the stuff that we talk about is, is lengthy. You just can't, you can't talk about the aerobic system in five minutes, mm -hmm. you know? So you could consume some of our videos. We've got, uh, one of my guys that's on board as an educator, he's a PhD in exercise physiology, and he could explain metabolism, muscle physiology. I, he forgot more than I know about that stuff, which is great. Cause I can learn from him still. And he was actually my professor in school. Um, but I would just start with consuming as much content as you can, our YouTube channel. Um, you know, we've, we've got articles, we've got a free membership site. There's just plenty of things that you can do for free. And then, you know, if that resonates with you and you, you know, it makes sense, then I would definitely look into to leveling up your skills with our program design course. I love it, man. This, and this is why I was poking you to start a podcast. <laughs> you need to, because, because this shit can't be simplified. I, I know you're right. And I think that's, uh, that's the next step. I, I definitely want to, you know, try to reach more people through content. And I, I know that you and I will just continue to, to hammer away the content because this stuff is very important, you know, and, and that's why we do it. It's very important. And all these little nuances, you know, you might think, well, how important is aerobic training? It is really important. If you want to live longer, it is really important. Yeah. <laughs> so it's the only form of training that's going to make you live longer. So if you want to invest your time into learning more, learn more about energy systems because it all is going to come full circle 
If you care just about strength training, you need to understand bioenergetics. You need to understand how the body responds to stress. That stuff, you just can't skip it and write workouts. You have to know how that stuff is first. And then when you write the workout, you're going to say, oh, yes, I have to. If we want to do high intensity training, it needs to be done with this much separation in between sessions. And then lo and behold, your clients get better results and they refer more, refer more people to you. So, you know, the rest just the put, proof is in the pudding. Yeah, 100 percent, man. So I'm going to I'm going to link your Instagram, your website, because there's some great articles on there. And then I will put um, everything you guys offer because I'm going to be endorsing this as well in the show notes of this podcast. So trainers, coaches, clients, anybody listening that wants to learn more from Jason, just look in the description. There's going to be a ton of stuff that you can check out there. Um, and most importantly, man, thank you for coming on the show again. I really appreciate the time. Thanks for having me, man. I really appreciate it. It was great.